Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today is Christmas at BCC. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can visit us at our website at bccma.org or you could always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. Thank you, Pastor Steve. Merry Christmas, everybody. Got all your Christmas shoplifting, I mean your Christmas shopping done? <laughs> how, many, how many of you got it all done? I, I, don't, I don't quite have it all done, but for mine. Well, that's why you came to early service, right? <laughs> so you could finish your Christmas shopping today. Uh, I love this time of year. I love the I love this service in particular because it's like it's like this is when we focus on we focus most on Christ. That it's all about his his coming. It's all about his incarnation and his and his uh, second coming. And uh, kind of the, we can put the world aside. The world is tumultuous as it is. We have a we have a stable. Uh, message and a stable source. I'm so glad to see all of you here today. Um, last uh, two weeks ago, we started a series called "The uh, Call of the King Is Coming," and the first week we talked about that uh, between the, the 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 phrase "Christ was born of a virgin and suffered under Pontius Pilate." Between those phrases, after that comma is the that's the most important comma in the world. Because between those two sentences, Jesus did something that we often ignore, and that is he established his kingdom on the earth. He didn't just come telling us about his kingdom, he established his kingdom on the earth. He established himself as the king of the world. And then last week we talked about him becoming king in our chaos. And we talked about the Magi who came looking for Jesus, honored him as king in spite of the fact that Jesus did not clear up the chaos that was all around them in the world at that time. They, because they, they based their belief, they based their worship not on circumstances, but on something far more stable than that. They based their, their, their faith and their confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. They based their worship and their acknowledgement of his king, not based on how they felt or their circumstances, but they based it on a biblical narrative that had been going on for 2,000 years, a biblical narrative that we call prophecy, foretelling that Jesus who would be, and, and we went over it last week, he, the Bible foretells that he would be born of a woman. And that's not, that's not, that's not a small thing that, that God uh, did that and that he let us know he was going to do that. That's even more important, that he let us know in the book of Genesis that this is what he was going to do. So we, we have it in prophetic scriptures, in the biblical narrative, we have it so clearly outlined that he was born of a woman. He came through the nation of Israel. He came through the tribe of Judah. The, Israel was divided up into 12 tribes, and one of the tribes was Judah. So Abraham, uh, Jacob had 12 sons, and one of them was named J- Judah. And Jesus came through the tribe of Judah with a line of David, King David. And he was born in the family of Jesse, which was King David's family. He would be, the, the, it was foretold that he would be born in Bethlehem. 
and that his name would be Emmanuel. The Magi had access to those scriptures coming from ancient, somewhere around ancient Babylon, were pretty sure they had access to those scriptures, and so they based their acknowledgement of Christ not on whether he changed the political circumstances immediately, not whether he got rid of Roman oppression, not whether he elevated Israel to a prominence in the world at that time, but based on the prophetic word of God, the biblical narrative. It's almost like, as N.T. Wright talks about, it's a four-act play of Shakespeare that the fifth part never got written, and each generation lives out the next part of the play. And so we are in that drama still today. Isn't that, isn't that exciting, by the way, that we're still living out the drama of Christ? C.S. Lewis said, the truth is like a lion. You don't have to defend it. Let it loose, and it will defend itself. That's why we believe in Jesus. Amen? Now, we're not denying today the inability or the ability, I meant to say, and willingness of God to impact our current reality. But it's so critical that we put Christ as the source of salvation at the very top of our emotional hierarchy. We put that at the very top of our thinking. I am calling this talk today, this sermon, Christ the King of Our Confidence. The greatest Christmas revelation that you will ever have is that Christ came to be your king, and that he is coming back. That is the greatest Christmas revelation you can have. The Bible says in Mark chapter 13, verse 26, at that time people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and great glory. That's talking about a future event. Now, today I want to unwrap for you the gift of confidence. If this, if this Christmas tree had a gift for you today, I would want inside that package for you the gift of confidence that God wants to give you today. I, I, wanted, I want you to replace all your insecurities with a, a confidence in, in something that will be recession-proof, offense-proof, even pandemic-proof. I want to put a gift under that tree for you called confidence, and we're going to go to a New Testament character who who um, epitomizes that today. One of my favorite characters, there's only like six or seven verses of Scripture written about him. We don't see him anywhere else, but we're going to read about him in, in just a moment. But first of all, I want to I uh, give you another Scripture today to base this confidence on. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, it's back to what, I, it's, it's back to what I've been saying. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse, chapter 1, verse 19, we're talking about this narrative of Scripture, this prophetic word that we've established our faith on, not on our circumstances, not on how we feel, but we've based our confidence on something far more stable. You can't base your confidence on anything more stable than the Word of God. Anything more stable than the scripture. Anything more stable than what God has said. Heaven and earth shall pass away, what one scripture says, but my word will never pass away. So we have it. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, we have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. 
That's what I want to happen to every one of us today. If you're already a Christ follower, I want you to have a renewal of that star of, 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 of Bethlehem rising in your heart. And if you've never made that decision to step over that line of faith and trust your life into the, into, into the power of Christ and put your confidence in Him and rest the entire weight of your life and your personality on Him. If you haven't done that today, I'm going to pray that you will have the star of Bethlehem rise in your heart today. Luke chapter 2, verse 25, we're going to meet a man named Simeon, one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Just a few verses about him. I wish we knew more about him because he seems to be a, a marvelous person. And he uses a word. When, you, when, when I read the word consolation here, I want you to think of the word confidence because consolation means comfort, comfort that rises to the level of courage. Consolation means comfort that rises to the level of courage. So I want you to put in your mind, when I say it, I want you to say to yourself, confidence. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. Now, as we're going to see in a second, the mother of Jesus and Joseph have brought baby Jesus to the, to the temple because it was the Jewish uh, law that the firstborn son would be given to God. And so they were bringing him and, and, and symbolically giving him to God. And they weren't going to leave him at the temple, but they were going to offer a sacrifice. Probably in their case, it was a dove because they were, they were poor. If you were wealthy, you would bring a lamb. If you were poor, you would bring a dove. They would offer a dove and they would give five shekels, which is a sum of money, as an offering. And they would dedicate their firstborn son as the patriarch of the family and the one who would carry on the faith. But Simeon was there and he saw something more than just another eldest son of a Jewish family. He was waiting for the consolation, the confidence of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, you have promised you may now dismiss your servant in peace. In other words, I heard a preacher years ago preach a sermon called, called How to Die Happy. <laughs> In other words, Simeon would say, I can die happy now because I have seen the salvation of the Lord. You can now dismiss your servant in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation, underscore your, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Now, let's think about this guy, Simon, and let's put ourselves in his mindset and let's see if we can imitate his way of thinking today. The first thing I see about Simon is he was focused on the right source for our confidence. He was focused on the right source. He looked at the priest. He looked at the, the Jewish system. He looked at the Roman system. He looked all around and everything. And he, didn't, he wasn't focused on any of those things for his source of, of, of confidence. He wasn't saying, King Herod's, Herod's going to save us. The new Caesar's going to save us because they would change Caesars every few years. One of them is going to save us. Uh, he wasn't saying the, 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 the patriotic zealots in, in Israel are going to save us. He was looking for the hope of Israel. He was looking for the Messiah. He was looking for the one that God would send. Sometimes, sometimes we get impatient. 
And we take the saviors that are, are not the saviors because we don't want to wait on who God's going to send. This guy was willing to wait on God, who God was going to send, who, God, who was going to be the source of salvation. You know, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, it has been for uh, 40 years. I go back to this passage all the time. It's Psalms chapter 62, verse 5, that says, My soul, wait thou only upon God. For my expectation is from Him. For He is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before Him. God is a refuge for us. So, where do you go for refuge? What makes you feel confident? What gives you comfort, confidence, and success? Uh, is it um, making the sale? Making the deal? Is it uh, seeing the quarterly earnings are up? Is it uh, doing a knockout business presentation at work? Is it, uh, is it uh, for me, preaching the sermon that people say nice things about, so that was a good sermon today, Pastor? Is that what validates me? Is that what brings me, makes me feel successful? Is that what gives me confidence? Is it, is it someone's romantic attention? Uh, is it uh, finishing a project and stepping back and looking at the project that you finished um, and seeing your creativity on display? Is that what brings you confidence? Or, do, or, or is it Instagram followers that your in, number of Instagram followers just went to 10,000? Is that what brings you? Is that what makes you feel validated? By the way, um, there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. I, don't, I hate to see Christians and I hate to see people who, in the name of following Christ, try to ignore the natural world and try to ignore our, our, our natural desires and our, our need for natural affirmation. Uh, that is not glorifying to God. It is not biblical uh, for us to ignore the natural world and ignore the validation that comes from our natural abilities and the abilities that God gives us. In fact, uh, not only is it unnecessary, it doesn't lift up the Lord. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, God richly furnishes us with everything to enjoy. And the context of that, the context of that verse is he's warning people not to trust in their riches. But even as he says, don't trust in your riches, he makes sure and balances it out by saying, but if you're blessed with riches, enjoy them. If you're blessed with success, enjoy that success. So I know, because I know, I, I wanted to make sure I said that today, even though I knew it wasn't necessary to the point of the sermon. I wanted to make sure I said it today because I knew somebody was thinking I was going to trap you. I was going to say, yeah, I get my validation through Instagram likes, and he's going to tell me I'm a sinner. I'm a terrible sinner for, for feeling good about, you know, Posting a meme on Facebook and you get a hundred likes and you think I'm 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 really okay. <laughs> Go ahead, enjoy it, enjoy it, but it won't last. It won't last because somebody else is going to get three hundred likes and somebody else is going to get two hundred fifty thousand followers on Instagram. It won't last. But Paul Paul makes this amazing statement in. 
Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, Paul makes this amazing statement when he's, he's talking about his natural life and what validates him and what he enjoys. He has said to the Philippian people, he says to them, my, uh, he said, Philippians, you are my joy and my crown. He didn't say that about the Corinthians because he didn't enjoy them as much. <laughs> uh, you know, it's okay not to enjoy everybody the same, you know. It's okay, it's okay John, to have, have people that you enjoy more than others. That's human. That's life. And so, so Paul uh, enjoyed the Philippians a lot, and he was the only, that was the only church he really didn't have any correction for. And he said, you're my joy and my crown. And he said, in fact, he said, I, I'm torn between two options. One is to stay with you, and the other is to depart in Christ, to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. To depart and be with Christ, which is far better. I thought about that statement in, in light of Simeon and making God our source. Do you look, here's the key. Do you look at everything that makes you feel secure? All those things I mentioned a while ago. Someone feeling affectionate toward you. Success on the job. A personal recognition doing a good job at something and feeling I did a good job at that? Do you look at those things and say to yourself, yes, I like that, that's good, that makes me feel good, but, but, Christ is far better. Christ is far better. Do, do you look, maybe you finally bought your dream house. Maybe you finally bought the house that's laid out just like you always wanted it, just like what you dreamed of when you were a little, little child, you know? Maybe you finally were able to buy the car that you always imagined yourself driving. Maybe you finally got the position that you always dreamed you would get. Maybe your bank account finally reached the place and your investments finally reached the place that you thought, now I'm secure. That's okay. But do you look at it and say, Christ is far better whatever you whatever uh, thing I would bring up whatever I would mention today is Christ the far better thing in your life that's what Paul did that's what Simeon did Simeon loved Israel but he said Christ is far better Chris uh, S Simeon was uh, was obeying the law and sometimes sometimes obeying the law gets a bad rap Simeon was obeying the law but he said Christ is far better. So let me close that thought with this. Put Jesus Christ at the top of your emotional hierarchy and peace of mind will always result. Secondly, Simeon was focused on the right problem. The right problem that causes our lack of confidence. Listen to what he says. Verse 29, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelations to the Gentiles and the glory of the people. Now, note Simeon addressed God when he said, For my eyes have seen your salvation. A feature of our salvation. See, we have our salvation. But our salvation, if you notice, our salvation is faddish. It, 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 it goes in trends and fads. And as someone said, it's whimsical. It's whimsical. 
If, if you listen to Tim Keller very much, uh, you, he will often talk about the temporary and constantly changing nature of human solutions. What seems wise today is ridiculed tomorrow. Astrology is in, then it's out. Freud is in, then he's out again, and then he's back in again. Certain dimensions of critical scholarship, like the famous Jesus Seminar, which said that only one-sixth of the sayings attributed to Jesus actually came from him, turned out to be false, by the way, they turned out to be totally wrong, are in, and then they're out, and then they're in again. Certain scientific theories are then out, and then they're in, and then they're ridiculed. Every, listen to this, I like this, every generation thinks our intellectuals are different. In 100 years, our intellectuals will be admired for how their progressive ideas have made the world great. <laughs> we're, we're, in a real, we're in a real place right now where uh, certain elites are, have the plan for utopia for the world. One of the problems with our salvation is that we only get it half right. You know what I mean? Let me explain. We only get it half right. We're constantly trying to remediate the results of human oppression, of uh, corrupt social systems, of technical limitations, of physical weaknesses, of our susceptibility to disease. For, for example, it's true that we need to be saved. We need to be saved. I'm talking about our salvation. We need to be saved from a social system that seems to ultimately put people in charge who have the worst motivations. <laughs> we, we, we need to be delivered from this system that always morphs into oppression, that always morphs into abuse, and we can't seem to... It, you know, we can't seem to fix it. Why is it that our reforms can't last? Even, even Adolf Hitler called the Third Reich the Thousand-Year Reich. He, he was only planning on it working for a thousand years. <laughs> Here's a clue. Here's a clue. What, what, what I said a minute ago is we get half the problem right. Yes, the systems of the world are corrupt. Yes, we need systemic change. We get, but we're only getting it half right. And let, let, me, let, me, let me tell you, let me give you a clue as to, to why I think we've got it half right. Let's pretend for a moment that the Jews would have gotten the dominion that they desired as a nation. I can guarantee you that given enough time, they would have become the very oppressors that they hated. They would have become the very abusers that they hated. Why? Why is that true? Why is that true? What's going on? It's because the other half of the human dilemma is this. The other half of the human dilemma is that we are sinners. The other half of the human dilemma is there's something wrong with our hearts. And that we need the king of the world, Jesus, to come and, and to take authority over the king of self, which is me, and bring me into the righteousness and transforming power of his grace and change my heart so that I will not become exactly like the people that I don't like. Amen. 
Alexander Solzhenitsyn, I know I've used this quote a, a few, quite a few times, but I always go back to it and think about it when I think of this thought of sinful humanity. Because we're always looking, you know, if we can get rid of those sinful people, if we can get rid of that group of people, then, then we're going to, then we can straighten the world out. But Solzhenitsyn had a, had a real uh, insight. He said, if only it were so simple, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and if it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them, but the line of dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? The laser beam of Christ's saving grace is aimed at the human heart. See, Jesus' first priority was to, was to put the kingdom of God within you. Not, a, not, not, not in the culture. His first priority, he said, the kingdom of God is within you. Jesus came, number one, to be king of your heart. Jesus came, number one, to transform you as an individual. Transform me as an individual. Jesus' first priority was to offer personal salvation to every whosoever will may come. Let him drink of the water of life freely. That's, that was the point of Jesus, not to, not to establish a palace or a capital somewhere else but your heart. It's a great thought. Simon, see, Simon knew the human race had a God-sized problem. Simon knew that Christ was the God-sized solution. Simon became a happy man when he saw the solution in Christ. He became a happy man when he saw the solution in Christ of both our systemic sin and our own corrupt human natures. And you may now dismiss your servants in peace. Are you satisfied with Jesus? Is he enough today? You'll only have lasting peace and happiness in your life when Jesus becomes enough. Amen. It's the only way. Does Jesus make you happy? See, the common thread through all the Christmas stories, through all the Christmas characters, is that Jesus made them happy. Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, she became ecstatic and happy and filled with the Spirit when she heard about Jesus. Mary became so happy she wrote a hit song when she, when she heard about Jesus. A mul the multitude of angels. Now Simeon praises. In fact, most scholars believed it was a song. that he, They believed he actually sang those words that I read to you a minute ago. And, and the, the Orthodox churches have what they call the Song of Simon, Simeon. And they sing it uh, like every February. If you can't, let, let, me, let, me, let me just put it to you like this. If you can't die happy with Jesus, you haven't met him yet. Hope will come 
Simeon finally trusted the Holy Spirit to guide him into truth. Whether you realize it or not, you're more familiar with the Spirit than, than you probably know. You, you ha- every one of you, you know you have that place inside of you where you hear truth. You, you, uh, uh, everybody argues with himself, right? Mm-hmm. Does everybody argue with himself? Well, who's... Have you noticed that when you argue with yourself, there's one voice inside of you, then there's this other voice that rises up inside of you. Who is that other voice? But that, that's, not, that, that's not necessarily the, vo- the, the voice of the Spirit or the place where the Spirit communicates. If you really listen closely, you've got a third voice. That's the referee between those two voices. David said in the Old Testament one time, My soul, why are you disquieted within me? Well, if you read on, you find there's a third voice. There's a, there's a third... I'm, I'm not saying that everything that third voice says is the Holy Spirit, but I'm saying there's a place inside of you that's designed, it's a platform for the Holy Spirit of God to talk to you. And the Bible indicates that the Holy Spirit talks to everybody. Isn't that cool? The Holy Spirit talks to everybody, just most people tune them out. Some, Simeon had the volume turned up on the Holy Spirit. And so he wasn't just thinking, he was not thinking apart from God. That's the mistake we make in life, is we think apart from God. And Simeon had learned the secret of not thinking apart from God, and he, he heard the Holy Spirit. In fact, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. The Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. So in the final analysis, it was the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now, telling you who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit is affirming to every one of you in this room right now that Jesus is the authority that God sent to the earth. The Holy Spirit is affirming to you right now that Jesus has the ability to run your life the way you would re- you the way you would really like for it to be run. In fact, you know what the Bible says in another place it talks about you, your your flesh. That's one of those voices that you have inside of your head, the voice of your flesh. It says it says your flesh that says the spirit lusteth against the flesh. So he has a better idea of what would be best for you. And your, your own flesh doesn't have the good idea of what would be best for you. And this, this morning, because of the grace of God, which has appeared to all men, the grace of God has appeared to all men, and the grace of God has appeared to you this morning, so you right now where you sit, you are hearing the appeal of the Holy Spirit. And that, that appeal is saying, make Jesus Lord cross the line of faith and make Jesus Lord. The Spirit is telling you that Christ's return will be the ultimate healing of our planet. The Spirit is telling you to start doing everything you do in the light of an eternity dominated by your confidence that Christ is the King of glory.
that Christ is the king of earth and Christ is the king of your heart. Will you listen to the voice of the Spirit? Will you listen to the voice of the Spirit this morning and let him affirm who Christ is, is in your life? And will you cross the line of faith? Maybe you're a believer who has fallen back and you step back over the line of faith because this has been a hard year and this has been, this has been difficult times and you need to rediscover the king in your chaos. Maybe you're someone who's not, never crossed that line of faith, but today you came to this service. Maybe you came because it's Christmas and you always go to church at Christmas time. But I pray that this year something different happens. I pray that this year you discover the king of your confidence and it transforms your life. Aren't you guys glad that we have a king who was and is and is to come? God, we thank you that Christmas is about um, it's about a baby born, but ultimately it's about a king um, uh, who gives everything for his people. God, who reigns today and reigns forever. the author
be the principalities or the government of man. We'll be able to move the vision in his hands. His word goes forth. sons and the daughters by name and on a wide on a new we to recall the grace shown and to never Supreme love. 